13 years ago, I came upon this album titled Grant Gordy, and all of a sudden I started discovering him. The following year, he was at Floyd Fest with the David Grisman Quintet, and my buddy Nate Leith jumped up on stage with him for a bit, and then a little after that, he was doing a tour with Tarka just after he had moved to New York City, and that was the first time I actually got to meet him in person, and here it is, 2023, and I'm lucky enough to have Grant in for this track-by-track track of his new album, Peripheral Visions. How are you, Grant? I'm doing great, Peter. I'm so glad to be here with you, and <clears throat> so glad uh, we've been able to cross paths so many times over the years. It's, uh, you're doing a great service to the world of musicians and listeners with all the work you're doing, so I really appreciate yeah. it. I certainly appreciate that. And Grant, you're one of my favorites because I host a program on WTJU called Folk and Beyond, and I go often far beyond. But when I look your albums up, oftentimes they're either called bluegrass or jazz. And you do that and so much more. And that's what I appreciate about what you do. And I'm hoping you can give us for those who don't know you as well, a little background as to what got you into appreciating music and starting to play it. Yeah, um, I um, started with uh, with an acoustic guitar my dad gave me when I was a teenager, and and I didn't, you know, it's kind of the classic like American guitar player thing. I didn't grow up taking lessons or go to music school or anything like that, but I. Um, was exposed to a little bit of bluegrass when I was growing up and and uh, eventually as a teenager I discovered David Grisman's music which for me was was really important because it was this accessible music in that it was string music and it was you know music I could kind of wrap my head around texturally and and it was based in kind of American roots music vocabulary to some degree so it was um, there was a lot about it that, that I could, you know, I, I could find an entry point into, but it was also drawing on a lot of different influences. And, you know, I've never been particularly, I'm not particularly into genres as, as a construct in the first place, but um, I've also never been particularly, you know, too, too dogmatic about one kind of, kind of music, as you might imagine. But I will say that, you know, as I went along, I kind of came up in more or less in the bluegrass world, at least that became my sort of musical family of origin. That's where I kind of found, found my scene and my people that I came up with as a young musician. And, and through that world, I, I met a lot of different folks that I, you know, became friends with and got to play with. And, and, and also through the, the lens of that, that kind of um, <clears throat> uh, wide, you know, wide reaching omnivorous, taste of you know of, of like Grisman's music and, and the associated stuff it became uh really okay to check out a lot of different kinds of music and 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 I got you know really interested in you know particularly particularly kind of straight ahead jazz and modern jazz and bebop and and all that kind of thing and I've, I've given a lot of study to that music over the years and continued to to play kind of roots oriented music and continue to write my own music and kind of just and of course as a working musician as you know we all kind of just are always doing all kinds of different stuff to pay the bills and and that can 
be um, that can provide all kinds of wonderful opportunities to do surprising music, you know, along the way too. So, well, I want to point out that you did a great album with some friends a few years ago, Greg Garrison, Alex Hargraves, and Joe K. Walsh titled Bluegrass and the Abstract Truth. And on that, you had a terrific tune from the great Wayne Shorter, who we just lost just yeah. a little before we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, I can't remember who brought that tune in to the session, but it was his tune Mahjong. And, um, it was a, it was an interesting kind of treatment instead of doing it sort of like a jazz tune, so to speak, where we would all take solos or that kind of thing. It was almost more like, like an old time tune where we just played, you know, played in, in almost kind of an old time style. So pretty, you know, not like pianistic style comping, but kind of like, you know, pretty like two beat rhythm feel, and then just sort of playing the melody over and over again. So we, so we really tried to render it, you know, like a string band. Um, and man, you know, that's just one of the just countless examples of, of like brilliant pieces of, compositional genius that that Wayne Shorter left us in the world and it's I mean it's he was 98 so he had a good long life and and we're all so much richer for his having been here it's like and and I mean I've been a fan of his music for for so many years and and um <clears throat> you know th this thing I've, it feels like we've been losing so many of these great figures in the last like five years in particular and I'm, I'm noticing this thing that happens, you know, when we, when people pass, you know, we often tend to kind of go back and give a retrospective look at their body of work and, 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 uh, especially with musicians. And I've, I've found like every, every little thing that somebody sends me or posts like some tune of his or something that he played on, on somebody's record or, or like a little piece of an interview, you know, that he gave everything just, just like creates this deeper and deeper like picture of this just, just towering figure on so many levels on the artistic level, on the spiritual level, on the human level. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just, maybe it's just one of those times, you know, in death, it's like people have this opportunity to really take stock in a way that perhaps isn't, isn't possible while people are still here in this realm or something, but it's been, uh, just, just, just staggering to have, have all these little things to go back to and realize like, man, what a, what a force, you know, Wayne Shorter was in this world. Well, I bring that up twofold. One, because Mahjong that you played just shows that you cannot be pigeonholed into one style and you can find ways to bring it the way you want to present it. And, you know, Wayne obviously was known as a jazz artist, but you opened a lot of folks' ears, I think. So maybe getting them to go out and find Wayne's original. As you said mm. in a post the other day, you know, there are certain folks like Monk, that you hear the name and you know who folks are talking about. Yeah. Wayne's one of those. Mm -hmm. And the second reason why I brought it up is another person that we lost, a great musician, just about a year ago was Ron Miles out there in Colorado. Yeah, Ron was a big, 
big inspiration for me and has been for some time. And, um, you know, we, we only kind of met in passing a couple times. I was never close with him. And I, I used to live in Denver and was very aware of him and had a lot of friends who were mentored by him, played, played in, in his bands. And, um, you know, as I, um, as I often say, I, I kind of kept, I, I sort of respected him from this, from this, distance of kind of reverence and like intimidation, not because he was an intimidating figure because he was very, very sweet and humble, but, but because I always kind of felt like, Oh man, I can't hang with those real, the kind of real, you know, the real cats. And, and so I never tried too hard to, to get closer work or work together, play together um, to my loss and to my regret. Um, so we never got to play, but, but I always just, Again, one of those people, they, their playing just strikes you so much. And when I listen to him as an improviser, I hear this thing that I know I'm always striving for, which is this ability to create new spontaneous melodies, which is to me that if, if I'm going to solo, that's what I want to do. And it's, it's, not, it's not that easy, but for some people it sounds effortless. <laughs> so there's that. And then, and then his compositional world is so is so touching to me, so meaningful to me. And, and um, so his music actually has, uh, the last record he made, which was called Rainbow Sign, was a, a pretty important inspiration for my this record of mine that just came out, Peripheral Visions. And, and I, to, so much so that I wanted to try to emulate the, the aesthetic of how they played together as an ensemble on that record. So it's, you know, Ron played um, valve instruments, you know, played um, cornet, trumpet, and the record also has Bill Frizzell on electric guitar, Brian Blade on drums, Thomas Morgan on bass, and Jason Moran on piano. And it's um, it's a really different texture, obviously, from a, from a string band. So on my record, it's a four-piece, you know, guitar, bass, mandolin, fiddle, you know, different texture, but but the way they played um, combined with the beauty and the depth of the of the music that they were working with, the repertoire they were working with, um, just so inspiring, just made me feel like maybe there's some way we could try to emulate some of that space and some of that interplay um, as we as we made the record. Which you know, who knows? It's like it's 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 it's, it's an imperfect aspiration. And certainly the execution is imperfect, but, but it's nice to strive for that. You know, it's nice to be so inspired by something so beautiful. And something that I want to bring up is that I mentioned your debut release back in 2010, self-titled Grant Gordy. And this one is that, well, it shares at least a couple of the musicians who you could have found on that original album. Dominic Leslie and Alex Hargraves. And then you brought in your old buddy, Aiden O'Donnell to mm. play upright with you. Of course, is also part of Mr. Sun, a group that you're part of. And I want to talk to you about that a little mm. later, but 13 years has passed since that album and this one. And of course, Ron's album is kind of what gave you the idea for how to do this. But what was the, biggest difference 13 years ago besides obviously your youth and this album that and i in my ear am i hearing a different guitar maybe a 
That's a good, yeah, man, good ears. It is indeed. Um, one, one pretty big difference is I was playing my Callings Dreadnought on that first record. So I was, you know, I was still, still feeling the, the imprint, I think, of coming up to some degree as a bluegrass guitarist. And obviously the, the, the big, you know, Dreadnought being the, instrument of choice for most bluegrass guitarists and you know during the the intervening years i ended up switching to these triplo style guitars just realizing how much more uh that felt like my voice and so i felt like felt like that's what i wanted to play so so from that technical perspective that's definitely a difference um and you know i i can only hope that in in this many years and have you know us all having gone through life changes and changes in, in our, our kind of career and changes where, I mean, when I made that first record, I was living in Denver, Colorado. Um, since then I've now lived in New York for 10 years and, and, um, you know, Alex was, um, 16, I think when we made that first record (laughs) to, to everyone's, my continuing astonishment because he sounded so mature beyond his years, even then, um, you know, I think he was still, still living at home in Oregon. And I think Dominic was just starting college at the time. Um, this was, uh, Paul Cowart played on the original, uh, Grant Cordy record. He had just joined the Punch Brothers at the time that we made that record together. And so, you know, everything is a, is a, is a snapshot of that time. And I think, you know, I st- I was really bearing the imprint of of uh, being totally dedicated to so-called new acoustic music at that time. You know, I think it was it was when I was still in the David Crisman quintet, and uh, um, and I think you know we all change and shift, and and I think I, I like to think of learned and hopefully my music has developed since that time and and my I, th- I think my my playing has kind of come into its own to some degree my uh, just you know comp- my compositional kind of style has changed a little bit so it's pretty inevitable i think 13 years is 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 the blink of an eye and it's a long time depending on your perspective you know <laughs> well how about we start with the first tune so we can get a sense of what this album's about? And that's Bridge and Tunnel. And should we listen to it and then chat about it? Or do you want to give us yeah, a little sure. something? Okay, let's do that. For those just tuning in, we've got Grant Gordy with us, and we're going track by track through his new album, Peripheral Visions, out at the end of March, I think with the 23rd officially. Although I should point out, you can get pick it up on Bandcamp right now. Thank you. 
the first track from Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions, titled Bridge and Tunnel. And just before that, I mentioned that while the CD comes out later in March, you can actually pick it up over on Bandcamp right now. And you can even get us a couple extra little cuts on the Bandcamp, I think. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, the Bandcamp version, um, it has uh, a couple exclusive bonus tracks. So if you if you want to grab a CD, you can grab a CD there and you automatically can can download it and you can get those those extra bonus tracks. Um, you can also uh, pre-order a vinyl, which I, I don't have yet, but it's, it's on its way. These are, you know, vinyl and it takes a while to get made, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out last year, at least, everyone I spoke to that had vinyl coming out was having to wait for Adele, who had booked every place to get vinyl. Is that right? Yeah. So whether it was Ethan Sediwan or Corner House or what well, the list goes on, everyone kept saying Adele has gotten every vinyl <laughs> place to do hers. And so we're all waiting. Wow, I had no idea she had such a monopoly on the market. <laughs> well, let, let, let's talk about this first track, Bridge and Tunnel, the concept, the title, and how it made yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's, it's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's based on, I mean, the, it, the initial inspiration for the piece was, was just some chord changes that I really liked the sound of. And then it's, that became the scaffolding or, or whatever, you know, that became the, the basic structure and it sort of grew out from there. And, and then there was some attendant like rhythmic stuff that I really liked, like that sort of, um, you know, they call it like break beats, certain, certain kind of like drumming style that, that Dominic was emulating on the mandolin that I, I thought, um, you know, it definitely, it, it's a, it's a sort of sound that, or it's emulating a sort of sound that I think has come into modern jazz in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, maybe. And, and so I think, so to me, I have that association of like a certain kind of, or a certain dimension of modern jazz that I associate with my time in New York, you know, so far, which is the last 10 years. And um, so to that point, it felt like uh, uh, Bridge and Tunnel felt like a good, a good title to kind of fit the description of, you know, it feels like that's where the scene is set, you know, it's set in, in a in a kind of urban scene and, and uh, yeah, felt, felt appropriate. Now, what came first, the title or the tune? The tune definitely came first. Although I, I will say I, I have a list that I keep of titles on my phone, which is just long, 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 you know, notes app, uh, note that, that I've been carrying around with me for 15 years. Um, many of which I'm sure will never get used because they're just stupid inside jokes or, or puns that no one will ever laugh at except for me. Um, but sometimes you get a good one. And I think that's one that I was holding on to. And then I realized, Oh, this fits for this tune. So the, the tune definitely, came unadorned and then uh and then i realized like oh i have this thing that fits it when did you start writing the tunes for this album it's a bit of a range some of them were um 
This second tune that we're about to hear, which is another one, it's called Espionage. And that, this is one that at some point I realized the title, you know, as if I was like realizing the name of a thing that is, it's clearly its name felt really appropriate. Like it's some, you know, some, some tune titles you, you kind of hedge and you want to, ah, maybe it doesn't quite fit. And then you're maybe never totally happy with it. Cause you know, naming instrumental music is difficult. But this one, it was clearly espionage is the title of this tune. It fits the atmosphere. But the tune itself is something that I've been working on. I think I actually started uh, started some of it in an airport with the David Grisman Quintet. Man, like like seventeen or uh, maybe like fifteen years ago or something, or like a, a pretty long time ago, um, and it just. Took a took a while to gestate. Needed some kind of reconsidering, and and uh, um, finally, finally, it all just kind of came together. You know, once the once you add the pressure of, I've got some studio dates booked, and flights are bought, you know, and <laughs> gotta have but some material. That that brings up the next question is, I mean the three musicians joining you on this are all busy musicians themselves. Obviously Dominic's been out lately with Molly Tuttle and golden highway, but also his time with Hawktail. Mm. And of course, Alex now is out there with Billy strings and well, Aiden's a busy upright player, whether it's with Mr. Sun or, you know, sitting in with folks. So mm. how did you find this time to get all four of them, all four of you together? Yeah, it just, it took a lot of conversation. You know, we had fun, you know, typically wintertime tends to be, you know, work tends to slow down a little bit and, and, um, and it was just, you know, just talking about it until we finally found a window where we all overlapped for about a week. And, um, you know, like, you know, Dominic's the only one who doesn't live here in New York. So I had to fly him in from Nashville, but otherwise, you know, um, when they're home, <laughs> Aiden and Alex are around. So uh, it, yeah, it took a lot of negotiating, but we, you know, we finally nailed the time down and it just, you know, with these things, you, in, if it's not a dedicated band situation, and even sometimes when it is, you have to be really patient in these negotiations. I mean, just finding time, you know, Mr. Sun has been a band now for, for, for a lot of years. And um, we all have, you know, busy, busy lives, you know, uh, I think Mr. Sun is a main focus for all of us and we still just have a lot, a lot of irons in the fire all the time. So, so even in that situation, sometimes we, we really have to work hard to find, find overlap in our schedules. I should mention Mr. Sun is you, Aiden O'Donnell, Joe K. Walsh, and of course the great Daryl Anger. And I want to chat with you a little later about something that's coming up real soon that you'll be doing with the band. Plus, of course, I know I was chatting with Joe K. Walsh a few weeks back with his new album and talked about how you're all gearing up for the touring as well for the year. But how about we give a listen to Espionage, the second track right now on your great new album, Peripheral Visions, out now over on Bandcamp and coming out a little later in March on CD and soon thereafter on vinyl. Thank you. 
the second track there from Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions, and that was Espionage. And we're going track by track through this new album with Grant here. And we're coming up to Mobius. Now, I don't know if you know the fiddler Sumaya Jackson. She put out a great album called uh, Mobius Strip a few years ago. And so that's that was my first, you know, I'd heard of Mobius, but all of a sudden, I realized musicians really appreciate Mobius. <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, I think I played on a, a tune or two of that record. Okay. I believe, yeah. Um, and I thought about that. I knew that she had titled a record that, and I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want to rip anything off of Sumaya. <laughs> but but I, I felt like it was such a, a fitting, uh, fitting description I don't think I totally have my head wrapped around the actual mathematical concept at work here with the Mobius strip. Oh, I was hoping you would explain it to me. Sorry, man. <laughs> but I have seen, I've seen them and, and I, I have a, a general, you know, general kind of anecdotal sense, I guess. And it felt like it fit in the sense that I conceived of this tune as something that would be something maybe, you know, very diatonic. It's very much in the key of D, kind of pretty, but would feel almost like you could, you know, drop the needle at any at any point in the tune and any point could kind of be the beginning. It's not like a clear um, beginning, middle, end narrative or clear AABA form. It's kind of just this one long cycle of 32 bars. Um, and, I, you know, I wanted it to, to feel both, um, you know, uh, apprehendable in its kind of tonality, but also a little bit sort of opaque, I guess, in, in its like uh, circularity. Well, I'm curious, Grant, as you said, Dominic's down in Nashville these days, but as you were writing these, did, did you have someone kind of sitting in for Dom as you were trying to figure out mandolin? Of course, you had Alex and... Aiden there, but or were you writing this with them not actually there as you were trying to figure things yeah, out? Yeah, I wrote stuff just kind of by myself. And, um, yeah, I didn't do, we didn't do any rehearsing until we were all four of us in the same room, but um, I did a lot of uh, just sitting, um, sitting on my own trying to figure stuff out and dinking around on my own little mandolin to try to work with uh, finding some melodies that made sense. I think, you know, I, I find Malin to be like a really good tool for writing melodies. Um, so, um, so that was helpful. And, and, and then I would, uh, you know, I would make demos to send out to everybody and then along with charts and stuff. And um, that was kind of my process, but I always, I very much had these particular musicians in mind with um, uh, thinking about, Maybe, you know, just the structures and how, you know, how, how things were going to unfold. It was really, really predicated on this, having this particular ensemble. Well, we talked about how obviously Dominic and Alex were there back in 2010 with your debut release, but how did you and Aiden start to play out together? Aiden and I actually met because of Daryl, Daryl Anger. Um, I think our first time 
intersecting was when he was uh, he subbed a Mr. Sun gig before he was in the band. We used to have the wonderful Ethan Yojevitz in the band before he moved to Nashville and and got busy doing all the stuff he's been doing. And uh, Caitlin Aidenwood sub and. I had become, a, I think I had become a, aware of him because he had been working a lot with Maeve Gilchrist, doing a lot of stuff with her. He toured quite a bit with her. And, uh, and of course, I knew him to be a busy, just jazz, you know, not just, but <laughs> a busy jazz bassist working around New York. And, he, you know, he's played with all kinds of um, incredible modern jazz musicians. And, um, uh, and we've also worked a lot together, like, well, there used to be a, a place here in town called the Bar Next Door, which which was one of the kind of jazz guitar spots in New York City, like kind of dedicated jazz guitar uh, bars. And I, I would work there occasionally doing like standards kind of trio gigs. So I would usually hire Aiden for those gigs. And, and I made, you know, my own like standards trio record on electric guitar um, a couple of years ago. I had Aiden play on it and so, and we, you know, we'll do the odd gig around town from time to time. So we've, we've put in a lot of time, um, just here on gigs in New York together. And also, um, you know, because we're the two people in Mr. Sun that live in New York, we end up traveling together quite a lot. So, so I think we've gotten pretty close and spent a lot of time together. And I should mention that You've done a lot of recording in between your self-titled album and this one. You know, most recently, last year, well, you put out that album with Mr. Sun, but also with Jacob Jolliffe. And then was it now two, three years ago that your great album interpreter came out, which includes Mm -hmm. Aiden. So it's not like you've just been sitting on your, you know, hands and we're out touring. <laughs> You've done a lot of recording in between. It's true. Yeah. I've, I've kept really busy and um, it's, it's been an interesting, interesting, you know, an interesting time. It's just, you know, there's kind of this narrative that's built up around this peripheral visions record, which is, which is the truth that it's like, you know, for so many years, that first record, the, the eponymous, you know, the eponymous one, um, you know, it's just never been a big hit, but but it's it's garnered a, some kind of status as an extremely minor cult favorite among some some people. And so, over the years, I get a lot of people ask me like, "When are you gonna make another Grant Gordy Quartet record?" And you know, people, you know, I oh, love love Pterodactyl, and you know, when are you gonna do more of that band? And and it's just it's been such a it's always been so much on the back burner with all this other stuff going on, whether it's Mr. Sun or other projects and you know, um, that was part of the idea with naming this record Peripheral Visions, partially because I just like the sound of it, but also because it felt like there is a peripherality to kind of being a band leader. You know, I don't do this full time. This is this is one of many things, you know, is to do this, do this music and do this band. Um, and uh, yeah, somehow, uh, you know, in the course of things, it took almost a decade and a half to do the, to do the sophomore effort. (laughs) Well, as your brother and I'll call him my, well, I'm going to call him a friend. Ross Martin, he 
it wasn't raw it wasn't tunnel vision but he's got that great album sylvan tunnel so you yeah. know i'm thinking of the tunnel out there and of course mm -hmm. he's got that collaboration with ron miles as well from way back in 2006 but you know yeah. you find ways to just keep going off the beaten path and we hear that on all these recordings but ultimately it keeps coming back to what a lot of friends call the grant gordy sound you know they hear your guitar and they say oh i know that lick so hmm. you, you find a way to make it yours and it's, it's nice to hear i mean i think that's that's one thing i mean what what a what a pleasure to hear that you know that's what i strive that's what i've strived for in, in music you know i want to i want to have something to say that's worth listening to and i, I kind of you know i feel like i resigned a long time ago, like I'm never going to be the shreddingest or like fastest, most kind of blindingly impressive player. And, you know, so I sort of made peace with that because, that, you know, clearly that's never going to happen. But but I do want to sound like myself, you know, and, and and hopefully what that is, is is moving or meaningful for people to listen to. You know? Well, I can certainly encourage folks to go out and find those recordings, but better yet, you know, I think you've got some gigs coming up. So let's chat about that when we come back. But first, let's hear Mobius from your new album, Peripheral Visions, out now on Bandcamp and coming out very soon on CD and vinyl.
from Peripheral Visions, Grant Gordy's second release of his own, that was Mobius. And before that, Grant, I mentioned you've got some gigs coming up to celebrate the release of this album. I know towards the end of March, when the album is quote-unquote out, where are you going to be playing? Well, I'll tell you, we're going to be, let me see if I can find my um, I saved a little poster somewhere on my phone, but I'm, I'm, I might have to just look on my website instead. <laughs> um, I know that we're going to play in uh, Galway, New York, at a place called the Cock and Bowl, which is a, this wonderful um, restaurant and music venue um, uh, that this guy Rick Sleeper has opened. That um, It's... it's it's just just this kind of funky little place, kind of in you know, in a pretty remote part of of uh, kind of up you know upstate New York, and it's it's just like a it's a really lovely scene. He has great food and and he gets good music, and he's really really nice to the musicians, and just it's 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 a really it's a really great place to play. So I'm excited about. Um, kind of starting us off there in a place that feels kind of like home. In fact, every time I go play there, you know, we give each other a hug and he says, welcome home. <laughs> so it's, it'll be a good good place to kick the thing off. So we'll be there on March 30th. And then I see you're going to be in Yarmouth, Maine, the day after right. that, and then Club Passim in Cambridge. And, well, you've got a whole set of gigs coming up celebrating that goes all the way through, well, April into May and I mentioned Joe K. Walsh a little while back. I heard something about you and Joe and Ben Krakauer and I think Aiden joining you for a little tour together as well. I don't think Aiden's on that one. Um, okay. But it's oh, yeah, no, Dan, Dan little, Klingsberg. That's right, Dan Klingsberg. Yeah. 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 So we're going to do a, a couple gigs. Um, you know, just. Just a thing uh, Ben put together for fun uh, for a couple gigs in the Northeast. I think we're going to do a gig in Vermont. Um, and a couple, I think a couple other things are going to develop out of it too, but I'm not totally sure what they are yet. But yeah. certainly uh, pay attention to Ben's website and, and it'll be up on my website eventually too. And um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Ben has been a really, really close friend for, for years and years. And, and he's one of my favorite banjo players in the world. So. In fact, you and I are recording this, and the next day I'll be doing Ben's new album coming out. So it's so good sitting down with you both. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I do want to encourage folks to visit grantgordy.com where you can see all these gigs, as Grant said, starting on March 30th up in Galway, New York. And then it's going to be in Maine and Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, Vermont, out in California. So all the dates there and you don't want to miss catching grant not only so you can catch him live but maybe even if you pick up the vinyl or the cd maybe he might be willing to sign it for you that's right well we are going track by track and we're coming up to is it the alban triangle the alban triangle the alban triangle is a small little park in uh uh, Borough Park, Brooklyn, where I used to live before I moved to my current neighborhood. And um, it's just, it's, uh, it, Borough Park is abuts Sunset Park. And so you have this interesting um, 
uh, mixture of it's like a borough park is like a Hasidic neighborhood and there's like Brooklyn Chinatown sits right against that and, and Sunset Park also there's a, a big uh, Latino population, which is this kind of perfect, perfect snapshot of the diversity of New York. And, and um, so I kind of dedicated it to that little area and it's, uh, it's just kind of a little bebop tune I made up. When did you write it? Was this a few years back, or right before this? Right before the session, actually, I kind of felt like I I needed something that was, you know, in that spirit. Um, for the record, I, I needed something that's kind of like up tempo, and and you know, I, I really love uh, I love a lot of that kind of classic like Bud Powell and um, Clifford Brown and that sort of classic bebop stuff, and it was just my little uh, homage to to those great masters.
the Alvin Triangle from Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions. And we're going track by track through this new recording, which you can find out more about over at grantgordy.com. And definitely want to head over to Bandcamp where you can pick it up. And Grant, are your earlier releases also available there in case folks wanted to get a little taste of your other sound? Yeah, yeah, they sure are. You can find the um, uh, that first record, Grant Gordy, is on there. You can get that, I, I think, only digitally. I believe I'm out of CDs. Or you can get the, uh, uh, the record interpreter, electric guitar, jazz standards trio record. As I mentioned, you put out a great album with Ross Martin, You're the Dog. And occasionally folks are lucky enough to, the two of you are both so busy that when you do get the chance, I almost drove up to Jersey just to catch you. A couple oh, months man. Back when you did that, so. <laughs> yeah, Ross is, is just my guitar hero. I can't say enough about uh, how much I love him as a person and as a musician. He's been just one of my biggest inspirations, and I, I just – Man, just one of those situations, like every time we play together, I just can't believe my luck that I get to have this this guitar duo with just my favorite guitar player. It's such a privilege. And as I think of you, I also want to give a shout out to our mutual friends, Tarka, to David and Enyan, because it was because of them that I got to meet both of you when you were touring with them. So, Yeah, I have so many good memories of, of hanging and traveling with them and playing all their all their tunes and and uh yeah they're very very close friends david and you and i i know that daryl anger was out there recording a few months ago with enyan who's got a new album coming out in a few months herself so that leads yeah, me into the conversation about mr sun and i've heard tell that you might be going into the studio soon to record a special album that's right. We're leaving tomorrow morning and we're going to go up uh, to North Adams, Massachusetts uh, to the, it's called Studio 6. It's the, the studio attached to Mass Mocha Museum. And we're uh, to just, just a little dalliance into uh, taking on Duke Ellington's interpretation of Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite. Oh, no problem. Why? Because it's there, as Edmund Hillary said. <laughs> uh, we're going to, so if you have, any of you listening, if you have not heard the Duke Ellington Nutcracker record, it's phenomenal. It's totally beautiful. It swings. It's great. It's great, great interpretation of the Tchaikovsky ballet piece. And in that same spirit, and it's so much it sounds so much like them. It sounds like Duke. It sounds like Billy Strayhorn. It sounds like Johnny Hodges. You know, it's, it's very much in their spirit. And so uh, in homage to that, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're interpreting Duke and Billy's interpretation uh, through the Mr. Sun lens. So we've been hard at work um, rehearsing when we can, getting, uh, getting together when we can, even though we all live in different places. Um, and we've all been kind of, you know, heads down working on our own arrangements and practicing and sending files back and forth. And, and tomorrow we go up there and, and we'll start recording for about five days and we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we won't really know until we know. And when I was chatting with Joe about his album, he said, you'll be debuting this at a festival a little later in the year. That's right. Yeah. So the fresh grass festival is held there at mass mocha in September. And, um, 
which is it's a it's a special festival because it's a beautiful one. It's on beautiful um, you know grounds of this museum. It's so lovely. It's also where I met my wife, so it's a special place for me personally. And um, uh, we're going to premiere the piece there at Fresh Grass, so it's uh, it's going to be a pretty heady weekend for us. And that's coming up in September. That's right. Well, we are going track by track and. A couple of years ago, on Christmas Eve, one of the true legends passed, and I had the good fortune to do a three-hour program with you and Daryl Anger and Critter Eldridge and Sharon Gilchrist paying tribute to Tony Rice. And so let's, for those, heaven forbid, who don't know the name Tony Rice, let's, let's just mention who he is and what he's meant to you. Yeah, I mean, Tony is one of the first musical voices I remember hearing in my life. Um, a couple of those records, uh, his record Church Street Blues and his record Cold on the Shoulder are two that I've, I've, I've heard them my whole life because um, my dad had them both. Um, sure he had others, but those two stick out. And as I became a practitioner of music, you know, I sort of started to check out his playing, of course, because it's, it's so great. And um, of course, he was a founding member of the David Grisman Quintet. Was kind of part of the the you know what made that band so great and important. And just you know, in the same way that you know, when you think of the trumpet, you think of Miles Davis. You know, if if you think of, um, you know, I mean, it's it's that level. You think of the banjo, you think of Earl Scruggs, and it's, it's that level of of of. Um, imprint i think you know that tony left on especially i mean acoustic guitarists in general maybe even guitarists in general but but specifically bluegrass guitarists um as my dad often says he rewrote the book and i think i think it's it's absolutely correct i mean we all stand on the shoulders of, of people that came before us and tony was no exception um but he brought something singular to to the music um his you know, his soloing, but for me, his accompaniment, uh, his rhythm guitar playing is something that, that is just, uh, has left such a profound uh, mark on me as a practitioner. And, and he's just one of those figures, you know, and then of, of course I went on to play, to, you know, have his old job. I played in the, in the Grisman Quintet, which was, you know, several gu guitar players down the line, obviously, but, um, you know, still felt like a pretty, for me, a pretty heavy uh, role to step into to, to get to be a part of that lineage. So the, um, you know, and I only met him a couple times, and he was always really gracious and and, uh, um, but but certainly the the influence is is extremely profound, um, and so yeah, so his his loss was a big shock. It was it was it was definitely sent pretty big waves through the community. And so, yeah. So uh, as I was kind of going through and kind of sourcing material for, for this record and writing, writing and also compiling stuff that I'd had lying around, I had this kind of beginnings of what was this kind of fairly mournful ballad that I felt like would be a good tribute to Tony and his influence. So hence um, Elegy, for Tony Rice. 
of, of Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions. That was Elegy for Tony Rice. And you can pick up this album digitally over at Bandcamp. I suspect there's a link up at grantgordy.com. If not, just go to yeah, sure. yeah, just go to grantgordy.com or just go to Bandcamp directly. It's bandcamp.com and type in Grant Gordy. And that's the one and only Grant Gordy you're going to find there. <laughs> well, we are going track by track, as I said, and we're coming up to Journey to Miniera. Yeah. Tell us about I, this one. Um, I feel I like this tune. I mean, like, you know, kind of like all the tunes on there, but um, I like this one because it's sort of, you know, musically it feels like it touches the kind of dog music thing as, as much as, as much as anything else on the album. And, you know, David Grisman's music obviously has, has such an impact on me. Um, and, um, as a, just, just aesthetically and as a composer. And so it's, it's nice to, it's nice to just tip my hat to, to his, uh, to his thing a little bit. And the dedication of the piece, I dedicated it to, uh, there's this, camp that happens outside of the city of Urbino in Italy. And the camp is called Miniera Acustica. And it's held on this um, converted sulfur mine that was converted into this beautiful retreat center. And um, up until COVID, you know, every summer they were doing this camp. And I went over there to teach a couple times and just made some, some really wonderful friends. Um, the, the community of people that run it and also the people that attend both folks from Italy around the country and also, you know, folks from other parts of Europe would come. And, um, you know, it's not a huge camp. It's, it's fairly, fairly small. And that typically I think the first year I was there, I was there teaching alongside Wes Corbett and, uh, Sierra Hull. And the second year I was there, uh, I was there with Joe K. Walsh and Noam Pekilney. So it's not a huge sprawling thing, but, but, the just the, it's just paradise. You know, you're on this beautiful mountaintop in Italy and, um, and of course you're eating the best food in the world for a week. Uh, and it's just, it's just a kind of paradise situation. It just felt like I, I wanted to, <clears throat> wanted to dedicate something to, to those friends. Uh, my friend Martina who runs it, um, is, uh, you know, people who do who do stuff like that in this little world of of kind of acoustic music. You know, the you know you do it for the love. It's not it's not a money making uh, venture. You know, as you know, it being you know, um, that's you know, and so so to be a part of something like that that's in such a beautiful place, and we're all getting to be together in this in this. Uh, uh, shared love of music just it's just one of those times that you really count your blessings you know and you realize what a what a charmed life this gets to be sometimes so i wanted to dedicate something to them a few months ago i know you and your wife snuck over to italy for a little i don't know whether it was a just a little vacation or a yeah. late honeymoon whatever it was were you able to sneak over to mini era with a guitar and just unfortunately not no I, I did bring a guitar with me but uh we we just stayed in on the island of sicily while we were there however um we our first uh chunk of the trip was in the city of palermo and I, there was a group of friends there in palermo 
that had come to Miniera the last time I was there. And so, so we had some friends there in town that we got to see. Um, and, and they took us, showed us around town a little bit and, and, um, it was great to, you know, when you travel to another country, it's always nice to know somebody, right. And have a little bit of an insider, uh, view into the, into the place. So, so that was a real delight and just, yeah, getting to be back in Italy after COVID and not really doing much traveling or certainly not doing much international traveling, um, was, was beautiful. Well, I appreciate you letting all of us take that journey to Miniera with you on this album.
Journey to Miniera from Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions. And we're going track by track through the album with Grant right now. And we're coming to Cloud of Witnesses. Yeah, I really, I like this piece. And I, th I think it's, uh, there's an interesting narrative here, which is um, the, the piece itself was Initially, the working title was just intro because I thought it was going to be the intro to to some other piece that um, I can't even remember at this point. But it might have been something else, something else that ended up on the record, or maybe something else I was working on. Um, but of course, with this whole process, you know, with like writing a whole batch of new music and preparing for a recording, it's like it's just as much about like organization as it is actual creation. You know, it's like how do you how do you put stuff you know, I already existing ideas. How do you place them in order and, and in what order and all that kind of thing. And so, so yeah, this was initially just going to be kind of an intro. And then I realized the more I worked on it, that it was becoming a standalone piece. And in rehearsals, we were working on it just as this singular through composed uh, piece of music. And Aiden, the bassist had the idea that like, well, why don't we play, just play free uh, before we get into it. I, I think maybe we were just, quite you know not quite sure how to how to start the piece other than just kind of kicking it off and going and so it ended up being uh, a kind of a narrative that's surprising to me not not what I was expecting it to be so it starts with with a good you know long chunk of some slightly chaotic free playing and then I love the, the storyline because then it's sort of, if you kind of can get through that part of all the chaos and the noise, it sort of rewards you with what I feel is a pretty like contemplative uh, and fairly pleasant piece to listen to. So I'm pretty happy with how that came out. Thank you. 
Let's again mention the musicians on this. Alex Hargraves, great fiddle. Dom on mandolin, of course, I should say Dominic Leslie and Aiden O'Donnell. And you did this, I think I heard something. You had booked four days, but you really only needed a fraction of that because it came together. Yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, it was a big fraction, <laughs> but, but true. Yeah. We, I think 
<clears throat> unless I'm misremembering, I think I had four days booked. We got most of it done in three and then maybe had a, like a, a, like to finish something or maybe we tried, I think maybe we tried some alternate versions of things that we'd already finished on that last day. But I, I do remember that we left, uh, we left a little bit early on the last day. So, so we made, we got, you know, we made pretty quick work of the whole thing. You never know. I mean, as I said in that, that other, um, that other interview with, with Daniel Patrick, um, I generally, um, uh, budget about three tunes a day in the studio. Uh, but I, th I think we did a little better than that. So I'm pleased with how it went. <laughs> and of course you recorded this where again? Oh yeah. We recorded, uh, here in Brooklyn at a great, um, studio in Bushwick called conveyor, which is run by my friend, Jason Borisov. And, uh, it's a really great spot. And in fact, uh, um, uh, yeah, lots of friends have made really nice records there. He gets great sounds and, and um, comfortable space to work in. So if anybody's looking for a studio in Brooklyn, conveyor. And then who, who did the mixing and mastering? Yeah, it was mixed by the great Dave Cinco and mastered by David Glasser, who works at Airshow in Boulder, Colorado. So I really was able to get some heavy hitters for the sound. And, I, and Man, to, to my uh, to my benefit, because I think I, I'm really happy with that sounds. And again, start to finish from you guys met when to do this to when it's being released. Uh, well, we recorded a year ago last January. So, um, and then yeah, I think we you know rehearsed for three days, recorded for three three and a half. Um, and then, you know, it, it just, uh, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, it just takes time to kind of get, get all the parts in place to actually get the thing out into the world, you know? So, so a year plus might seem like a long time, but, but I, I kind of felt like I did it all as fast as I could. And, and truthfully, man, I mean, this time around, I really tried to uh, give myself ample time to to do whatever promotion I was able to do kind of on my own on my own resources um, so I started the work of promoting the thing back in September so I've been working on that for for six months well anything shorter than what Ross Martin did with Sylvan Tunnel is is pretty quick that's right <laughs> yeah he recorded that back in 2006 and only released it yeah. last November so and thank God he did because yeah. I'll tell you it was worth it was so worth the wait. I've been hearing about that record since, um, since then, you know, and I knew that he had done this thing and I knew, I knew he had Daryl playing fiddle on it. I knew that he had Ron Miles playing trumpet on it. I, I know I love his tunes. I know he's a great writer and, and just, yeah, I was so excited when it finally came out. It was what, like, I think it was in December, maybe. I think November or December. Yeah. November, I know December. when I sat down around that time. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's, it's one I've been I've gone back to several times since then, and I will continue to go back to. It's just one of those, yeah, totally worth the wait. You know, I will say, you know, I, I love songs as well, but there have been some phenomenal instrumental albums that have come out in these last few months, and mm. it's uh, it's a joy for someone who likes to dig into. There's, as I said, Mr. Sun's got some great songs on it, but 
all instrumental albums, they don't come along very often. And it seems like these last few months between yours and Joe's and Ross's and of course, just a few months before that, your album with Jake Jolliffe. So there have just been some great albums out there. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little biased because I tend to mostly listen to instrumental music. But so I forget sometimes how unusual it can be. <laughs> but um, yeah, I like it because it's, you know, I always think they're almost like each tune is like its own little movie, you know. Um, I just I kind of like that. Uh, it leaves a lot of room for your own interpretation of what it's telling you. Absolutely. Well, we're coming up to International Klein Blues. Let's start with the title. Yeah, this was actually, this came from a specific place, which is that um, I read this book by the wonderful writer Rebecca Solnit called um, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, I think. And it's this book of essays that she wrote about about travel and music and relationships. And it's, it was, it's really wonderful. I think I actually read it uh during my honeymoon right after right after i got married and it, it um it just happened to i don't know i just happened to pick it up at that time it really touched me and she covers a lot of stuff but she talked about uh different shades of blue in one of the pieces and she talked about this uh eves klein the painter invented his own shade of blue called international klein blue and it's uh it turns out i didn't realize this when i was reading the piece but it turns out it's the shade of blue that the blue man group paints their bodies with so it, i'm sure you can imagine it's like a striking uh striking version um uh, which i only kind of realized that later but but i just kind of latched onto that title international client blue and i thought oh what a great title that would be international client blues um so that was one that went on the list you know it's just waiting for its moment and uh, this is one, this is a tune I kind of just wrote in, a, in an afternoon. I had a gig, uh, like this kind of outdoor house concert here in Brooklyn. Uh, one, it was like a summer day and I had this gig and I just wanted to write a tune. I was kind of trying to like rip off or write a rip off of a Bill Frizzell tune. Not, not a specific one, but just, you know, like a fake Bill Frizzell tune. So that was music, the kind of musical inspiration. Um, did you end up playing it that night? Like the map? We played it that night, yeah. Right. Music du jour? Okay. Exactly. Yeah, it was like a du jour kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's, you know, just kind of, okay, I got a new tune and then just kind of held on to it. And so. And has it gone through a lot of changes since that first writing or is You know, not that level? much. There was like a little, a couple little tweaks I made before we recorded it, but it, it pretty much came out in its form. Uh, yeah, pretty much stuck with what it was.
International Klein Blues from Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions, out now on Bandcamp. And you can get a link right from Grant's website, grantgordy.com. And that also has the CD release tour there as well. So two great reasons to head over to grantgordy.com. And, well, we've talked about Ron Miles here and there throughout it, and we're coming up to a tune to Ron. Yeah, this is just, uh, you know, uh, something I wanted to uh, dedicate to this person that, that has been such an uh, uh, influence and, and just a, just a, man, just a beautiful spirit in the world on so many levels. He was a beautiful, beautiful man and beautiful musician, beautiful writer. Um, in fact, if you, if you want to learn anything about Ron Miles, check out, um, he made a record with this, uh, with this band that made, that made the record Rainbow Sign that I was so uh, enamored with and inspired by. He made uh, an, an earlier recording, which is also incredible, called I Am A Man. And in the process of, of that record being made, a, a short little documentary film was made. I believe it's called Ron Miles, I Am A Man. And just a lot of interview footage and footage of, of uh, the band rehearsing for the session. I think some, inter- some uh, footage of the recording session. And it's just such a beautiful and touching portrait of Ron as a person. And you really get a feel for for him and um, just, you know, just one of those people that comes along and you just, you're so glad that they, that they were on the earth and that's, that's how I feel about him. So this tune is dedicated to him.
those with Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions, the CD in hand or the vinyl. That's the last track you'll find on that. But for those who are over at Bandcamp, you're going to find two more tracks. And of course, that last tune, fittingly, because Grant was so influenced by Ron. And the name of that album again, that really brought you into this? Yeah, it's called Rainbow Sign. And I certainly encourage folks to go out and listen to that when you get that chance. But as I said, for those who have the digital download, there are two extra tracks, starting with an alternate take on Mobius. And what should folks be listening to when they're listening to the cut on the CD and vinyl versus this alternate take? Mm, that's a great question. I think it's um, the tune was was intended to be so open and kind of every time we played it was was pretty different, you know, because there was no... There was no real game plan. There was no, it's not like, okay, we're going to play the melody and then take solos and then play the melody again. You know, usually you have some kind of a plan like that in mind, but this was more just like the melody is there, whether it's being played or not, you know, and the chords are there, whether you're expressing all the chords or not. And, and you know, that, that approach to playing a tune, inevitably it's going to be pretty different every time. And so I, I felt like we kind of came away from the session with, with, a few really nice versions and I felt like, you know, it, it would be, be worthwhile to include as a bonus, this other, this other version that's, uh, that's, you know, same tune, but a really different reading. So, um, yeah.
the alternate take to Mobius from Grant Gordy's album, Peripheral Visions, available over at Bandcamp. And, well, the second of the extra cuts is Miniera Waltz. This will be a very short one. This is this is one of those little things, you know, back in the days when, you know, you would buy CDs and there would be a little secret track, you know, after after three minutes of silence at the end of something, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I certainly remember that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can't really do that anymore, but I thought it'd be nice to just include this little moment of, of kind of levity. It's just, you know, I think during one of the takes of journey to Miniera, we, uh, just kind of fell apart into some silliness and that's all it is. It's just a little bit of uh, joking around. Sweet Miniera Waltz, the final extra cut on Grant Gordy's new album, Peripheral Visions. Well, Grant, we've talked about you touring behind this for coming up later in March and for a few months. Who's going to be touring with you? Yeah, so it'll be uh, Aiden. It's going to, Aiden O'Donnell is going to play bass. Alex Hargraves is going to play fiddle. And I will be having the great Jacob Jolliffe playing mandolin on this tour. Well, that brings up, I've talked about Jacob and Joe and Dominic and three very different style mandolin players. And I'm wondering how your playing changes because we talk about how people recognize your sound, but what do you find yourself doing? You're holding your guitar. As oh, I just always hold my guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's... <clears throat> It's hard, you know. That's hard. It's hard to really define what the change would be, but um, I think there's a, you know, it's so dynamic. Like the, it's just, it's so, it's so kind of relationship based. You know, the way I uh, there's a, there's a certain kind of comfort that I feel playing with Dominic. There's a certain kind of comfort that I feel playing with Joe. There's a certain kind of comfort I feel playing with Jacob, and they're all. They're all a little bit different. I will say, like I've, J- like Jacob has uh, toured in my band um, in previous years, but it's been it's been over ten years. Like I, um, um, so we haven't played in this kind of ensemble for quite some time. We've done a lot of duo playing in the last few years, um, and obviously Joe and I have this experience of all these years of playing with Mr. Sun. Um, also with Danny Barnes, I should. And with Danny out. Barnes, yeah, that's right. That's a good, good observation. Um, and uh, you know, it's just—it's hard to say exactly what it is, but everything's just—you know—it's it, just a little bit di- like, you know, it's like when you you, know, you make a soup and it's like you put in 
white pepper instead of black pepper and it's just going to change the whole thing a little you know to some degree it's going to make the you know might even make the onion taste a little bit different or whatever <laughs> so it's not a matter of okay i'm playing with jacob you know you well okay i'm going to ask the question now is how many guitars do you have Grant? how many do i have uh well uh not that many actually i have uh this this uh hiroshi suda 2019 triple o that i'm holding right now um but i also have a, a um an older martin triple o that's that's really beautiful that i really love and uh I, ha- I still have that calling dreadnought that i played um played on that first record and uh, i have my electric guitar it's a it's a electric arch top by the hoffner company and um i have a, a little nylon string that i bought in portugal when i was just traveling there um and that's about it i'm not really like a collector okay well um, i i asked because i wasn't sure if you know when you're playing with jacob if you have one guitar that you like to play versus dom hmm, or joe yeah. no i just kind of play the same thing in fact i've been playing the suda guitar he, he uh amazingly gave it to me in in 2019 and i've just been pretty much unless i'm playing electric i just play this guitar all the time i love it so you just take the one on the road with you or do you have a second one just in case well this is kind of in theory this one's kind of the backup since i've got the martin but uh, i've just been playing this all the time that's the thing it's like i i kind of just will be you know i'll just be into the one that i'm playing you know and then i kind of forget about everything else (laughs) So I've just been kind of tunnel vision on this one for the last few years because it's just, it's great. It does what I need it to do. It sounds lovely. It sounds like me. You know, that's the main thing. Well, Grant, speaking of sounding like you, I think to close things out, and I'm kind of springing this on you, that if you had to choose one track from that way back ago album, Grant mm-hmm. Gordy, which one would you want to uh, close with? Boy, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, I guess I would say, why don't we listen to Pterodactyl? Pterodactyl is the first, the first track. It's kind of the, the attention grabber, and it's, uh, it's some, it's not, it's not entirely unlike bluegrass. <laughs> so, why not? No, I think it's a good way just for folks to who may not necessarily have that first album just to give them a way to see the evolution and how your vision has evolved over these years. Thanks, Peter. That's cool. That's a good idea. Thanks so much, Grant. My pleasure. 